This is the Decibel Geek Podcast with Aaron Camaro and Chris Sinzak. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Decibel Geek Podcast. I know I don't have the pizzazz that uh, Mr. Camaro has, but I'm doing the intro by myself this week. Aaron is actually on his way back from Wisconsin, went to visit some family. I'm Chris Sinzak. I'm your half host. Um, Aaron will be joining us in a minute when we start talking to Victor. Um, it's been an interesting week this past week. Uh, those of you that follow us on Facebook and uh, that are friends with me on Facebook will and have checked out Rock News in the past week know what happened. Um, Dick Wagner passed away this week, and um, we're all pretty upset about it around here. We got to know Dick pretty well over the last couple of years, and more so lately than um, even before. And, you know, he had been in ill health over the past month, and... We had actually thought he was going to pull through, and I had been talking to him on and off on Facebook, and um, we were talking about doing another Albums Unleashed, and we were going to do one on the uh, Alice Cooper from the Inside record, which um, a lot of Alice Cooper fans had mentioned after we did the Dada episode that that's the next one they would like to hear. And we are going to do other Albums Unleashed with other um, artists and musicians and producers and everything, and um, those are there are some in the works already. Um, but we were excited to do this one with Dick and, um, July was booked really solid and because of the Christmas and July stuff. And I was talking back and forth with him. This was around when he got ill and I had told him, you know, I said, um, we're booked through July and I know you're going through some stuff right now. He was in the hospital messaging me about wanting to, uh, dissect from the inside. So this is how, that's how excited he was to do it. And, um, I just told him, I said, you know, get some rest and, um, like, is August okay? And he said, yeah, that sounds good. And we had, uh, I had plans to actually talk to him this week. Uh, I was going to make contact this week to set it up. And then I get, uh, like a lot of you got blind, blindsided by the news that he had passed away. Because uh, it seemed like he was taking a turn for the better. But we all have our time, and I guess it was his. And uh, as I mentioned, I wrote a little article called Generation Landslide. You can get it at decibelgeek.com. Just... I I was really upset that day, and I just I wanted to get it off my chest, and you know, my, sort of my memories of of Dick, and and what I'm going to take from the time that the short time that we had with him. Um, he taught us a lot, and uh, he's definitely going to be missed. So um, this episode is dedicated to Dick Wagner. So um, um, so, but you know, on to happier news. Uh, Christmas in July is over. I know some of you are sad about that. Um, some of you are excited about that because we can get back on to regular regular stuff. Um, you did hear an Anthrax Kiss cover to begin the episode. I thought that was fitting since we did an Anthrax Kiss cover to go into Christmas in July. I figure we'll come out of it with a Kiss cover. And um, we're going to talk about the second half of Anthrax's career, talking about 1993 till now. And um, a lot of different changes, a lot of, a lot of uh, great music and a lot of changes going on. That's basically the sum, summation of what's gone on since. Um, Victor was great to come on the show. And you'll get to hear all of his contact stuff, as you heard in part one. And we really appreciate him coming on the show. So uh, if you dig this, uh, check it out and share it on Facebook and retweet it on Twitter. And I want to go ahead and mention the Geeks of the Week this week while we're doing that. And then we'll get into the talk. Geeks of the Week this week. Warren Money, Chris Karam, Danny Card, Todd Cunningham, Joe Lascon, David Alpazar, Jody Havnot of the Strange Ways Podcast, Wally Norton, I Am Hoops, Brian Bates, Paul Stamm. Derek Novak, Lee Maslin of the Audio Junkies, Junkies Podcast, Justin Hayes, happy birthday, Justin, Andrew Jacobs, Podcast Rock City, Brent Walter, Matt Severson of the Paperback Rocker Podcast, Trevor McDougal, Darren Parkin, Dennis Schoen, 
and Tony Espenufano, Heavy Rock, Joe Royland, Viking Girl, Jack Broad, Shane Stuckless, and Music Mags and Wax. If you haven't seen already, we have launched a new, uh, or we will be, depending on when you hear this. Uh, if you hear this one, it's very brand new. It hasn't launched yet, but we're going to have new T-shirts coming out. And um, go to decibelgeek.com, and hopefully by the time you click on the store link, it'll go to the new store with the new designs on it. We're really excited about it. Ken Mills from the podcast and the Zilch Monkeys podcast and Cheap Talk with Trick Chad and all kinds of great podcasts. Um, is a great designer, and he was nice enough to do a kind of a redesign of our stuff, and so we can offer you more. And we hope you check it out and dig it. But uh, we got plenty of stuff to talk about with Victor about Anthrax, and let's get on with it and talk to you soon. They say that Joey was like getting drunk constantly. They couldn't handle him, and and this or that. Um, when I spoke to, and I mean, this is sort of, I guess, letting the cat out of the bag for anyone that follows my classic album series. But Sound of White Noise is the album that I'm featuring by Anthrax, partly to you know push buttons, and partly because I think it's one of their greatest albums, totally. in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. Charlie personally told me, and you'll hear this when I release the episode later this year, it's when it's scheduled to come out, um, he said that he had all of this music that he had been writing. Now, Charlie writes the bulk of Anthrax. He writes all, almost all the music, writes almost all of the lyrics as well, and at that time, he had just amassed all of this music and realized that it didn't fit anything that they were doing previous to this. Um, so he basically said, you know, I need to get this out there. How am I going to get it out there? I'm going to release it as Anthrax. And as he was going over the material, he just didn't think that Joey was going to be a fit. Now, I don't know if Joey ever got a chance to sing on any of these tracks. Um... But I do know that, uh, you know, they were going in a completely different direction. Obviously, Dave Jordan, who was hugely popular at the time due to uh, Jane's addiction, actually, uh, up until that point. Well, and I mean, Alice in Chains. Well, Alice in Chains came, came after, if I'm not mistaken. Well, he worked on Facelift, which was around earlier than that. Was it? Okay. Yeah. Um, all right. So it was probably a combination of those two. I know that they mentioned at the time that listening to those Jane's Addiction albums really had a lot to do with, you know, sort of infusing something different into what they were doing. Uh, other metal bands subsequently went on to use him as a result. I know Sacred Reich used um, Dave Jordan um, as a result of Anthrax using Well, I don't know if it was as a result, but afterwards he was involved with them. He was, uh, I guess, the sort of that era's uh, Bob Ezrin, if you want to look at it, because he did work with a ton of huge artists. He worked with um, Offspring as well, you know. So uh, a lot of people jumped on that Dave Jordan bandwagon. And I know listening to an interview not too long ago, 
uh, with Scott Ian, uh, my my good friend, my good friend. It's not John from uh, from Iron City Rocks. It is Aaron from Iron City Rocks. There you go. He interviewed Scott Ian, and he was saying that they've had them do all this crazy stuff they'd never done before, like record six different guitar tracks per track. Um, they really layered a lot of different things, really did a lot of things in the studio that none of the other people had tried. Of course, when you're dealing with Alex Perialis, who's known for doing Testament and Megadeth and things like that, you're not looking to experiment in this fashion. Um, so it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's only natural that, that something like that would happen. Um, what was you know when you guys first listened to Sound of White Noise? What was your interpretation? Because I had a one thing that really stuck out in my mind, and a lot of other people at the time I remember saying this, a similar thing. Um, well, for me, uh, I remember well that my first taste of this album was the video for Only, and right. I I mean I knew they hired a new singer. I didn't know. I didn't really know anything about Armored Saint at the time or anything. So right. I was hearing John Bush with basically virgin ears, so I didn't know anything about him. And when I, I have very few what I call holy shit moments in music history where right. I remember hearing something the first time and literally saying, holy shit. That video was one of those moments. I, I mean, in my opinion, it's one of the best hard rock slash metal songs ever made. I, you know, and I... It's a great. The whole album is awesome, but that song in particular, wow! I mean, they couldn't have. I think they picked the perfect song as the lead-off single for the album and as the lead-off single for the John Bush era of the band. Um, and I have in my notes that James Hatfield, he's referred to the song as a perfect song. But yeah, yeah hearing only for the first time, I remember saying, "Holy shit!" And I was very excited for what they were doing, even though it was so different from what they'd done before. I'd never even seen the video before I got it. I was actually in high school, and uh, my friend Cal Hintz, listener of the show, um, was running down to the Camelot Music. I don't remember what he was picking up. He might have been getting this, too, and I remember giving him 10 bucks and saying, get me that new Anthrax CD. I want to check it out. And I just knew that there was a new Anthrax coming out. I didn't know Jelly, Joey Belladonna wasn't on it. I didn't know, you know, the guy from Armored Satan was on it. I didn't know nothing about it. And same thing, you know, got it back, put it in the CD player, listened to it, and was just like, blown away holy shit this is amazing i didn't even care that joey belladonna wasn't in the band it was just to me it was like a new band because it was so different 
than what right. Anthrax had been before that, but still so good in its own rights. Yeah, absolutely. I was in college radio at the time, and I absolutely loved um, Armored Saints' Symbol of Salvation. I played that album to death uh, because MTV was playing um, Reign of Fire and Last Train Home all the time on Headbangers Ball. So I instantly went out and bought that on CD. It was actually one of my first CDs. And once I heard only, I thought, holy shit, this is Anthrax doing Armored Saint. <laughs> yeah, kind yeah, of. Yeah, the, the riffing was very similar. And I remember that there were other people that at the time said something similar, said, oh, you know, this is uh, this sucks because, you know, this is them trying to jump on the you know, Armored Saint bandwagon, that, you know, album was so huge and this and that. So now they're trying to to cop that that specific sound. Um, but you can't, then, really, you can't really look at it like that because if Armored Saint was so huge and on to, going on to really huge things, then why would John Bush have left? You know, if, if he thought he had it better in Armored Saint, he, I would think he would have stayed with him. Well, that that's a good point because... When I interviewed John, I asked him about this album and, and asked him about, you know, why did he say yes to Anthrax and why did he say no to Metallica back in the day? And he flat out told me, he said, well, when Metallica approached me, Armored Saint and Metallica were on the same level. Uh, so who knew that, you know, they would have been so big and we would have, you know, sputtered the way that, that we did. And later on, you know, they, I mean, they were a known band, but they weren't huge, you know, right. similar to what you're saying. I think public perception was that Armored Saint was on MTV. So they were trying to get, you know, additional listens on MTV or, or whatever, you know, it, it might be, you know, back then before the internet, you know, there was, you know, uh, your typical, you know, friends running around, hey, I heard this rumor, and, right. you, know, <laughs> you know, and that's usually they're sort of connecting their own dots to, to, to you know, put a story out there. But um, John Bush basically said, you know, it again, it made no sense to join Metallica, but it made all the sense in the world to join Anthrax. He said, you know, Armored Saint was done, we were burnt out. You know, Dave Pritchard had died. It took us forever to finish Symbol of Salvation. And, you know, that... This is a great album, nonetheless. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I think it's one of the best albums of that decade. And it really is still a cut above everything that they've done, in my opinion. Yeah. But um, he basically says, you know, there was nothing else. He had that opportunity, and he decided, you know, it was time to... Uh, you know, give it a shot. And this was the start of, you know, a a, a sort of um, a separation within the crowd because a lot of people, you know, were still partial to Joey. Yeah. And to this day, a lot of people don't give John Bush's albums, I think, the listen that, that they deserve. Well, but, uh, my right. best friend from growing up, was a massive fan of the Joey era. I remember he would, the way I was with Kiss, I would shove Kiss stuff down his throat, 
he would shove right. anthrax down mine. And I mean, I got into him too, but like he was just obsessed with them, especially you know among the living and uh, persistence of time. He was huge into the, and he was on board for Sound of White Noise. He liked it a lot, but for some reason, once that, that once that album was done, he was done with them. And even huh. through later albums that I love by the Bush era, he he I, he just never would get back on board. But one thing I do remember buying, and I remember it was one of my favorite music-related items, I bought the cassette single of uh, Black Lodge. Yes. And on the other side was them doing a Kiss cover of uh, Lover All I Can. And Thin Lizzy, too. Oh, and they yeah. do Cowboy Song by Thin Lizzy. Yeah. I used, I used to listen to the shit out of that. And Gene thing. Simmons and Paul Stanley appear on that Kiss song yeah, with they them, do. don't they? Yeah, yeah they sing the backing back harmonies. Up. Yeah, I had that uh, the CD single. Yeah, I had the, the maxi single. I had the cassette single, and it was the uh, eco-friendly cardboard one. Yep. This, so, that was the way it was with the CD, too. Yeah. It was one of the first ones I ever remember seeing where it was just the flip-open cardboard yep. with a little piece of plastic. And Black Lodge yeah. was one where I thought the band got unfairly slagged by people saying, oh, they're trying to be a grunge band now. Because they had only heard that song. I'm like, listen to the rest of the album. There's yeah. nothing grunge about that. No. Especially after hearing Only first. Yeah. But Black Lodge did, did fairly well as a single. And it's also a great song. Yeah. Well-written, good, great melody to it. But yeah, I love I love that one. And then in '95, Dan Spitz leaves the band due to severe disinterest in guitar and becomes a watchmaker. And I thought it hurt him at the time because he was a big part of that Sound of White Noise album, and his leads were great on it. Um, and then I was honestly, Stomp Four Four Two comes out next, and I was let down by it personally. Um, I'll 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 say this. Dan, in my opinion, was always the weak link in Anthrax. And listening back to those albums, he never progressed as a player. Like, you go back and you listen to almost any band that became big. You know, you, you listen to how a guitar player's progressed or how they bring something different to the table. Um, Dan constantly recorded the same solo over and over and over again. He predated Kirk Hammett doing that. Mm. Um, but um, there's a lot of talk of really Charlie, Scott, and Dave Jordan sitting with him and really coaching him throughout uh, Sound of White Noise. And when he first left the band, he really didn't speak highly of that album. He didn't speak highly of that. He went on to say that um, he taught Dimebag how to play the solos on Stomp 442, which is just that's, ludicrous. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, if it, it, th there was talk about there being so much turmoil that he just quit the band, basically. Um, if you look at the credits for Stomp 442, because at that time... In the booklet, it actually tells you who played what solo, 
who did what guitar effect, um, this and that. Charlie plays solos on that album. Scott plays solos. Paul Crook plays solos. Stomp 442, I honestly, for me, was my least favorite album of the Bush era. And listening back to it, I thought that it was a lot better than what I had imagined it originally. I think that with Sound of White Noise, it was sandwiched between Sound of White Noise and Volume 8 which are two tremendous albums. I mean, I agree. with Sound of White Noise, I mean, like we said, only you have things like Room for One More. Invisible, uh, yeah. Invisible, yeah. A track like Sodium Pentothal. These are all crushing tracks. And, and you jump ahead to Volume 8. I'm not going to jump into the tracks just yet, but, you know, it was, it was another tremendous album that's really overlooked, unfortunately. Uh, Stomp 442 had a lot of really cool tracks on it. I think that they may have, again, sort of tread the water with like the State of Euphoria type effect where there are tracks like Nothing and American Pompeii that really were sort of on the commercial side. Yeah, uh, I can see that. Yeah, and Bear was... I mean, Black Lodge was was a ballad technically but it was a very dark song and i think a lot of people knew that it was about twin peaks because the video was very you know eerie and very twin peaks-esque very david lynch-esque and bear was although the, the the lyrics are you know aren't happy and cheery the song sounds more like a track by the cure maybe Find the space You know, even if people were saying that that it was grunge, so well, and also the production's bad on this album. I mean, it's they have the Butcher Brothers producing it who worked with basically everything that's un-anthrax. And <laughs> right. I don't they were. it's like they were searching for something that wasn't there on this. And it's, like you said, treading water, I think, is the right way to put it. They were they were trying to do something that just didn't come together. The, I, think, I don't like much of anything on this album. I, and I, think, I mean, I think there's some gems on it that are pretty Darryl's, decent. But overall, yeah, Daryl's songs are pretty damn are, good. His stuff is pretty good. The, the Random Acts, Acts of Senseless Violence is okay, but... The album cover's not any good. What's, I just, what's up with the album cover? What do you mean? Well, a Walmart Bandit. I, I, just, I can't figure out why. Yeah, but. why Why would Walmart... I mean, I don't even understand really what it is. It's a big ball. With, what is big it? Big ball garbage is what I... Yeah. yeah. So why would maybe, that be banned by Walmart? Maybe because there's someone naked on the cover, I guess, because you know they couldn't show someone's ass. I, I don't know. Big Ball of Garbage would have been a better title, but I, just, I don't like this album. <laughs> oh, man. I don't, I've never liked this Big album. Big Ball of Garbage. I tried listening to it a few weeks ago in preparation for this, and I was like, Let's nope. See. I, I like the song I Fueled. Still, I, still I like, like the song King Size. I like the song Riding Shotgun. Um, nothing is okay. American Pompeii is okay. And that's about it for me on that one. 
Um, I actually like some of the other tracks. I think In the Zone or In a Zone and, and Tester are pretty cool as well. I, I like Bear also. I mean, it shows a different side of them musically. I mean, uh, again, I think I hated the album because it went from, you know, from Sound of White Noise Which to... Which was so good. Yeah, to to this and... Um, and I'm actually going to hit the rewind button here for a second. There are two things that I wanted to mention about Sound of White Noise that I forgot um, that a lot of people may not know of, and I don't remember if this was part of the reissues, but when I was in college radio, Chris Vaglia, who's actually on my Facebook, um, he was in tight with Electra, which I was not. So he received a Japanese copy double cd of sound of white noise it not only had the cowboy song before i heard it as part of the black lodge uh single it also had them doing uh alf wiederzine which is a yeah. cheap trick yeah, cover that's an awesome cover right cover and it also has looking down the barrel of a gun yep. which is a the beastie, beastie boys, boys yeah yeah we've played With that on the, the show boys on it yep so That's awesome. That also appears later on. Cover uh, Meisters. They really yeah. are. They're the masters. There ain't too many bands. If you were to say, you know, what band does the best cover songs, it'd be hard to argue anything against Anthrax. Well, that's the thing. I think Maiden started doing it, and I think they got their cue from Maiden and maybe Metallica to an extent. But, but Anthrax does it so much better for some reason. Yeah, they make it their own, and, and they aren't scared because they've done everything from... Um, uh, they from Husker Du to Kiss to yeah. Radiohead, Radiohead. Yeah. I mean, all types of you know, all types of rock genres, you know. And there and there was always talk that when Bush was auditioned, that during his audition they did covers of Madonna and Depeche Mode and things <laughs> like that oh, to wow. see if he could hang with you know just the various types of other music that the band was into that they sort of wanted to you know make sure that he was cool and he just wasn't some dude that just knew thrash and that was it right you know? be like okay this is part of your audition but how would you feel about doing a cover of like a virgin would that yeah, bother you, you? would that <laughs> would you be okay oh, man anything whatever you know let's Sing, do it singer willing to do anything to make it there you go Here's hey, another we're, thing, we're, since we're sliding back and talking about the Wasson White Noise a little bit, I wonder what the reaction was from Elektra after just pumping out all this money into Anthrax and all of a sudden, bam, oh, hey, by the way, we're kicking out our longtime singer that was signed as part of this deal, and now we got a new, we're, we're going to try something new. Yeah. You know, what, what must that record company's reaction have been to that? I, I vaguely remember that it wasn't a popular move. I'm sure. I'm sure not. You know, you're buying one thing, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, well, by the way, we're, we're getting rid of this ingredient yeah, and putting this well, one Motley in. Well, Motley Crue did the same thing to yeah. Electra two years later. Exactly. <laughs> well, but they weren't jumping labels. I mean, it wasn't like, yeah, okay, they, yeah, we're... Yeah, they didn't just sign But them. they had re-upped on their, their contract, though, I think. Oh, yeah. well, that's right. Yeah, yeah, during the, the, the Greatest Hits album. Okay, you're you're right. Um, yeah, that's, that's interesting. And, and that's why... There's actually the uh, live album that Island ended up releasing, the sort of... Oh, the Island, Island years, years, yeah. Yeah, that was to take advantage of the fact that, um, well, one they were wrapping up what they, they were owed an album, so they had that on the back burner. It was supposed to be released when they were going to re-up with Island. They jumped to Electra for all that money, 
and Island ends up putting the album out anyway. Yeah. And I remember at the time, again, this is hearsay, but apparently the band was pissed off because the actual tracks aren't mixed well. Um, the latter half of the album, I think it's the last four or five tracks, are actually a special show for WSOU, the station I mentioned before. And during I'm the Law, uh, you don't hear the guitars during part of the track, like the amps give out, and all you hear is, is Charlie Frank bellow and um, Joey with the backing vocals. You hear no guitar at all because the guitars are cutting out. I suppose at that point, Island doesn't give a shit what it sounds like. They're, as long as they've got something they can put on the shelves and they think people are going to buy, they don't give a damn about Anthrax's feelings. They're gone. You know, they don't give a damn about making Anthrax sound good because they're gone, and they just want to yeah. put something on the shelves and make some yeah. money. Who cares? You know? Makes sense to me, I guess. Well, that's happened with how many, you know, bands. I mean, yeah. a lot of people go back and... You know, slag Kiss for all these greatest hits albums, but let's be honest. I mean, it's the labels that it's not the band's call, these... right? Yeah, and I re I happen to remember a, like Deep Purple. There was like a live album that was released, and Ian Gillen was telling the fans, "Do Don't not buy, buy this album." Yeah, Lemmy did yeah. the same thing. Yeah, there was an album that Motorhead thing package that came out that Lemmy thought was completely overpriced and had nothing new on it, and he was saying, "Do not buy it, please. Don't." Yeah, save so, your money for the next studio album right. that we actually do. Yeah. Okay, so let's get into Volume 8, The Threat is Real. comes out yes. July 21st, 98 on Ignition Records. Debuts at 118 on the Billboard 200. Recorded at Krusty's Funhouse in Yonkers, New York. Um, I'm guessing that's one of the band members' house. Produced by Anthrax and Paul Crook. As of 2006, 85,000 in sales in the U.S. Phil Anselmo shows up, uh, backing vocals on, vocals on Killing Box. Dimebag Daryl plays guitar on Inside Out. And Born Again, Idiot and Killing Box. And after the release of the album, Ignition goes bankrupt, and it screws up the album's distribution. And it just, I don't know, it, this is a, an amazing record that never, never got its just due. And yep. one of the best things in the whole Anthrax catalog, especially riff-wise, there are some lyrical faux pas on this, but musically, I think it's a really, really strong album, and it's got a lot of great songs on it. You mean you don't like... Um like a monster crossing the Hudson River, I stand and deliver? No. <laughs> and I don't like um, the, uh, was it? It's Law of the Jungle, if you've got the hunger. Yeah, there's that. that's the Kiss one. But uh, no, Yeah, it's a Kiss uh, song. The song Toast to the Extras is a big black eye on the album. Uh, yeah, it's got the, I like that. It's a talking about taking refuge with his pillow. Now sometimes all this leaves me feeling hollow. Uh, There's something metal about that. Yeah, huh? that's there. Well, I don't know. Toast to the Extras actually won a bunch of awards here in Europe. Really? I remember reading it because they said that it was so different for a, you know, metal band to do uh, what essentially sounds like a a country song. Basically, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe it was a Zeppelin influence or whatnot, but it's really, you know, I always thought it was country-esque you well, know musically it's brave it's just the lyrics are kind of horrid on that song and cup, right. of, cup of joe come on that's i mean i guess i really need a cup of coffee I, I, go get me a, a cup, cup of, of joe. joe yeah 
over and over again. And That's just stupid. And then six oh four, stupid. Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, that, but at the same time, it's Anthrax also bringing the sense of humor back into the band too. So I can't. The, SO, the SOD element, you know, the sort of quick, sort of in and out type deal. I guess I don't yeah, know. But the the first three tracks, Crush, Catharsis, and Inside Out, is a great one, two, three punch to start the album out. Yes. And, and some of the best songwriting the band I think has ever done, and it's not really a metal record. It's I think this is a it's hard like rock, a rock album. record. Yeah, I mean P and V. I love that song. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that riff and the guitar playing in that. But it's a it's a hard rock record, and I think some fans had a hard time swallowing that pill, because in my opinion, Anthrax went from being a really good metal band or thrash band to what they became is a really good hard rock and heavy metal band. Because I, yeah. I don't think you can listen to them now and really call them a thrash band. In comparison to the 80s stuff. I mean, yeah, they got their moments like you, and they still busted all like Alpha Male, you know, on here. That's a good heavy tune. But, you know, it's it's in between some other stuff. But I know, like so. that they weren't afraid to straddle the line and do lighter stuff. Um, but that, the songwriting is, is incredible on this album, and John Bush is great vocally on it. I think yeah. Charlie wrote a lot of great guitar riffs on it. I mean, Victor, you like this one a lot too, right? Absolutely. This is my favorite anthrax album without a doubt and i mean people will say well why didn't you pick this as the you know classic album to discuss well i can separate you know personal opinion from something being monumental or important to the greater masses as you guys have mentioned you know the distribution on this sucked and a lot of people didn't you know hear the album i bought it the day it came out i remember i rushed out of work um, knew where the local shop was that I could go to to count on that, that they had this. Yeah. I bought it. And I remember driving over to my ex-wife's house and hearing Crush, Catharsis, and Inside Out and thinking, holy shit. Um, Inside Out especially. Inside Out, whether that's Dimebag or not, playing that solo, to me, that solo is the greatest solo ever recorded by anyone. Just the feel, just the different sounds. I know a lot of people will say, well, it's not even the best Dimebag solo. To me, there's just something about the way that that solo fits in, how the lyrics fit in. Just that whole package that you get with that track that is just mind-numbing. It is just ridiculous. And 
afterwards with Paul Crook taking over and doing that song live, he did that track justice, um, where he actually played it very close to how Dimebag was playing it. When Rob came into the band, I've seen him play that track live and absolutely butcher it. (laughs) So, um, and, and that could be nerves or whatever it was that specific night but it just wasn't it just wasn't the same thing um the album is just great start to finish it it is a big shame that again a lot of people don't know it um because i do think that tracks like the, the first three or something like killing box which appears later on in the Ghost of Mars soundtrack, just without any vocals. Really? Uh, they re-recorded it specifically for John Carpenter. Um, th- that track is just ridiculous as well, and I yeah. remember seeing that movie specifically just to hear Anthrax, and there's the final chase scene at the end, and all of a sudden, you know, the riff for Killing Box starts up, and I'm like, holy shit, here it is, here it is! So <laughs> that's too funny. And <laughs> you know, like I went to a movie. Oh yeah, what movie did you see? I don't know, but it had an Anthrax song in it. <laughs> oh, and now that we're on that, another thing that I completely forgot about. Did you know that when Dokken got Dream Warriors uh, for the Friday or Friday? Yeah, all right. Nightmare on Elm Street, Nightmare on Elm Street series. Um, that was supposed to be Anthrax. Really? There were pictures of Anthrax, and you can find them on Google. There are pictures of Anthrax with Freddy Krueger. Oh, they wow. were supposed to have the main track off of that soundtrack. Now, What song was it supposed to be? I don't recall. So and I don't did... recall if it was something original or if it was something that was off of Among the Living, which I think was what came out at the same... which what was out at that same time or not, I, I don't remember offhand. Wow. Um, I guess the difference there is that Dokken was represented by Q Prime, who had Metallica at right. the time, and a bunch of other huge bands, Def Leppard and such. So they were able to pull more strings for Dokken to be involved, mm. where Anthrax was you know, still under Johnny Z's thumb, per se. So um, that's probably why that happened. But huh. they've been a part of a ton of different soundtracks. We mentioned Beavis and Butthead as well. They were also part of uh, Bordello of Blood, which yep. was also a cool track. Which I always, on- I always loved the song they did on the uh, Airhead soundtrack, London. That is a great song. Yeah. Yeah. One of my favorite Anthrax songs off a soundtrack. I heard that in a long time. Oh, it's a good song. Uh, Well, you mentioned Killing Box. I remember reading the liner notes because I went out and bought this on release day, too. And I remember looking at the liner notes and saying that Phil Anselmo appears on Killing Box and being all excited to hear what Phil was going to do on this song. And then (laughs) all Phil does on the song is, 
Blah! Yeah. Yeah. Blah! And it was like, oh, that's it? Yeah. So I was really bummed about that. I like the song, but I was like, man, come on. Phil could have done more many, than that. How many Pantera fans you know, <laughs> seek, went out to seek that out just to get here's, here's Phil just going, blah, over and over. You know, but when it comes down to that, he's, you know, if you need, he's good if at you that. need somebody to do that, that's who you go get. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, but that isn't the last time they did that because on the following album they did that with another, you know, guest singer who basically does the same thing but in his style for a track. But uh, well, b- before we get to that, um, yeah. they put out "Return of the Killer A's" in '99 on Beyond Music. This is where Anthrax starts jumping from label to label, and it's kind of a sad display of the record industry. But uh, is basically a greatest hits and it's typical stuff, but it does include Ball of Confusion. Oh yeah, I want to know the story about this, Vic. I want to know how this comes together. They, they were as what uh, Chris sent around. They were supposed to tour with Belladonna and Bush. Yep. It was supposed to be, you know, where they did a set by one guy. Then in the middle, they did the two of them did the song sort of as a changing of the guard, and then the other singer came out to do the the remainder of the set they were talking about it for the longest time i remember again eddie trunk mentioning it on the radio that's a pretty rare thing you know i don't think i can't think of anybody that's ever done anything like that before well they they um (laughs) sammy hagar wanted to do that with david lee roth as well yeah but not with van halen though no No, that would have been a separate thing yeah but But to have um, a band with two singers you know split up the show crazy egos clashing smashing i can't imagine how that could go well there's actually one show where genesis did that with peter gabriel and phil collins where they both appeared yeah but um outside of that well here's another thing actually they did do a few shows where uh, where they did bring joey up on stage at the time to do some of the classic tracks so that's sort of you know, open the whole thing up to, well, uh, would you do a track with us? You know, and, you know, things started to snowball. And then all of a sudden, you know, the whole thing about who was going to be the closer, who was going to be the opener, yeah. uh, um, you know, how much money was involved. And apparently there was, you know, bad blood at the time because of uh, the whole Paul Crook thing as well, because Paul Crook essentially helps write all of the first Joey Belladonna solo album. Uh, and he appears on the album. And then he's brought back into the Anthrax fold. He was never hmm. made an official member of the band. Yeah, I think f- he got done wrong in that deal. Yeah, for, for my money, he's the best lead guitar player they've ever had. And, I mean, after Anthrax, he's gone on to play with... Meatloaf. Uh, what's that? He's with Meatloaf now, isn't really? he? Really? Yeah. With Meatloaf, but that's the whole Scotty and Pearl a Day connection. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, they were actually during this tour, I had actually paid to go to the Maximum Rocks tour, which was supposed <laughs> nice. to be uh, Motley Crue, Megadeth, and Anthrax. And by the time we got to see them, Anthrax had gotten kicked off of the tour because they didn't have enough money to pay for the band. Or, you know, they were playing half sold out sheds. It was. You know, 01, 9-11 had already happened if I'm... No, 9-11 didn't happen yet. Um, that was kind uh, of a Tommy tough Lee. time for bands like that. What's that? It was a tough time for bands like that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, from what they say, 
they jumped from label to label because they wanted to retain the rights to their music. So they were um, doing distribution deals with various labels, yeah. which would allow them to to keep, you know, all of all of the rights to to their own music. Um, Paul Crook is 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 brought back in. He's he first did the stuff with uh, the Queen. Um, musical, whatever the hell that was. I don't remember what it was called at the time or what it's called now or whatever. He was part of that. He was then part of the whole meatloaf thing. That tour is where Scott Ian met his wife and everything else. So there are a bunch of different interesting things that go on there. To this day, there's still pictures of, you know, Scott hanging out with Paul from backstage stuff. So they're cool. It just seems as if there were issues between Charlie and Paul, and that's why he never became a full-fledged member. I don't know why, and I mean, I'm. this is all hearsay, but uh, I don't know if working with Joey actually led to um, him not becoming an official member. But. but they, you know, when all was said and done, the tour that they were going to do with both singers falls apart. From what I read, Belladonna yeah. backed out basically at the 11th hour. Yes, yeah, that 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 was that that is true. They they did some shows again with um, with Joey in upstate New York, which is where he's lived for like the past twenty some odd years. And as things got closer, and after they recorded this, because the track comes out after after the tour's already been shit canned, so um, they release it anyway. I guess I don't know. Um, if it was to try to get fans interested and maybe to get Joey involved at the time or what, but it just never came together and it just never happened, unfortunately, at that time. It's too bad because that track, that cover of Ball of Confusion, is really a unique and rare kind of thing that you you don't you can't get out of many bands. You know, like you know, like for your Van Halen example is perfect. You know, Van Halen, Eddie and Eddie and uh, Alex aren't getting together in the studio with Dave and Sammy oh, to do no. a song. Can you imagine the explosion? Three Mile Island right there, wherever they're recording. Emergency crews are dispatched to 5150 Studio. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know, can you imagine the, 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 the ego clash. If nothing else, you got two lead singers here, two big lead singers, you know, big names, big times. And, you know, now we're going to try to get you guys to work together. Hopefully this won't go too bad, you know, and, I guess it, it couldn't happen. Mm -mm. And and they would get uh, Gary Sharon to do backup vocals, and Mitch <laughs> Malloy would say, <laughs> and we had a handshake deal, but it just never worked out. Yeah. The only yeah. thing they could agree on is that John Bush didn't have no problem. He didn't want to share none of the Aquanet. Yeah. <laughs> not, not, not at all. I mean, he went from, you know, having long hair to... to no hair. Uh, um, <laughs> Having nothing, so. <laughs> okay, so let's get to 2001, and uh, yes. a very big story happens, uh, well, in America, not only America, but the world, and 9-11 happens, and, um, the and, you know, there was a lot of stuff involving the name Anthrax with the Anthrax attacks and, you know, threats through the mail and stuff, so there was a lot, there was a lot of Anthrax attacks going on in the U.S., so... This was negative publicity for the band, and they didn't like it. But, Victor, you've got something you want to say about this, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I have the misfortune of witnessing 9-11 in person. 
um, was basically doing my job, heard the first plane um, connect with the first tower, walked over with my brother who was assisting me that day, and we saw the second plane collide with the other tower in live and in living color from about 100 yards away. Holy shit. And it was something that, I mean, to this day impacts me, but especially at that time with everything being so raw and just just there. And I mean, uh, music has always been something that I've turned to when things were tough, you know. Um, albums like Sound of White Noise, you know, albums like... Uh, no volume made albums like Creatures of the Night. You know, these are all albums that I've often turned to when shit hits the fan, per se. And at that time, you know, my mental psyche was not that great. And um, and it was, you know, very difficult just trying to connect things and just trying to figure out how, you know, life was going to go on or, or whatnot. And and I'm saying this now, and, and I feel sort of like a dope because I wasn't in the towers. I wasn't, you know, I didn't know anyone that died. I saw plenty of firemen that probably didn't, you know, make it out. Um, I definitely saw plenty of people, you know, die on that plane and, you know, on those floors and, and whatnot. So that all weighs on you. And unfortunately for me was, you know, a heavy dosage of survivor's guilt for a bunch of years, <laughs> you know. And lo and behold, I'm at work, and this was, you know, a little after that, and one of the people that work with me says, hey, I got tickets to the big benefit show tonight. I'm like, what, what show are you talking about? And he was like, oh, the New York Steel show. And at that time, you know, I was scared shitless to go into the city, yeah. uh, um, to go, I mean, I had hockey tickets, which I'm, you know, a diehard New York Rangers fan. Uh, I gave tickets away. There were there were a bunch of different things where I just, you know, I was just scared, like a lot of people were. I can imagine so. You know, the rest of us around the country are seeing it on TV, and it's scary enough seeing it on TV. Yeah. But put yourself in the shoes of somebody that's standing down, like you say, 100-some feet away seeing it happen. I mean, scare the hell out of anybody. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I'm like, all right. Uh, you know, I'm like, well... I'll go, you know, what the hell? And I'm like, well, Anthrax, Ace Frehley, Twisted Sister. Yeah. I right. say, what can go wrong? Ace Frehley and Twisted Sister and Anthrax will protect me. <laughs> yeah, there, there, there you go. So, um... If anything goes so, wrong, Ace Frehley will just teleport us out of there. Wow. will take us to Gendrell. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so, so, so we show up. We miss Sebastian Bach. Um, no problem for me, but, uh, uh, we, we see all of Overkill set and next is Anthrax. And before there was a Dharma initiative on Lost, <laughs> there was Anthrax and white jumpsuits. Um, I know Scott is a huge Lost fan, but maybe J.J. Abrams stole that one from Anthrax because it's eerily similar to, uh, to what to what they were wearing and they all came out with you know uh each of them had a different word on their jumpsuit which basically said not gonna change our name and when i interviewed charlie i told him this i said you know 
again, music is such a music is such an emotional connection with you, and you always go back to certain points in time where, you know, when something happens, you know, you hear a song, and it takes you to a different place. You know, yeah. whether that's to a good moment, a bad moment, or or whatever. And I told Charlie, I said, you know, I've seen you guys a bunch of different times, but nothing will ever top that show because for me, that show started that whole healing process from 9-11 for me to say, hey, you know, I got to move on with my life. You know, I, I got to start, you know, searching things out. You know, I got to I got to do something and, you know, I just got to stay the course. You know, I always turn the music in the past to help me through these rough moments. And, you know, I got I got to keep doing the same thing, you know, and um and it was a great show by them, you know. It was, it was awesome, you know, with with Bush on vocals, uh, with that was Rob Caggiano's first show with the band. That's where I heard him screw up the solo for. Um, <laughs> no, he didn't screw the solo up for Inside Out. It was only that he screwed up. Hmm. So it was his first night. That's a big gig. Yeah, big gig. Imagine that. Such a lot an of important. Pressure important high profile show uh there were cameras going which i mean w for the longest time it was debated eddie trunk said oh no, no no we never rolled any footage so many years later twisted sister has released <laughs> you know video of the show yeah. it's like come on the whole night was taped yeah there's talk of you know how bands didn't want you know the video to come out because they weren't happy with their performance i know with overkill there were sound issues uh, during their uh, during their part of the show, um, I don't know about Anthrax. You know why they may or may not have wanted to release that. Uh, I've acquired bootlegs over the years of some of the um, the audio versions of the shows. So um, as much as I love Volume Eight, and at the time, for years after that album came out, I was I thought they're not going to top this with uh, John Bush. Oh, yes, they are. And then they come out with We've Come For You All in 2003. And this was the last album they would do with John Bush. It was recorded in Suffern, New York, produced by Scrap 60, otherwise known as Rob Caggiano. And um, Dimebag shows back up on uh, Strap It On and Cadillac Rockbox. Reaches number 122 on Billboard 200, 10,000, sold the first week. I don't know. I go back and forth on whether which one I like better, but this one is on equal footing with Volume Eight for me. I I think it's got a ton of great songs on it. I definitely like the cover better. The cover's cool, designed by comic book artist Alex Ross. Um, my favorite stuff on this is What Doesn't Die, Refuse yes. to Be Denied, Yes, Any Place But Here, uh, Nobody Knows Anything. The drumming is amazing. Yes. Atrocity! 
that I mean, I like them all, but those are the ones that stick out the most to me. But uh, what do you guys think of this one? I, I agree with you. I mean, you pretty much named all my favorites. I mean, Refuse to be Denied for me is like Inside Out Part 2. Um, any place but here. And as a drummer, man, I, I, I love, you know, no, nobody knows anything. And I've seen, um, I've seen footage on YouTube of Charlie recording that. And it's just amazing seeing him play that. And I mean, I think a lot of people overlook how important his contribution has been to the metal community and and drumming and, and if you want to bring up the whole big four i know a lot of people say oh well you know dave lombardo is the the greatest drummer out of the big four to me it's bonante because bonante mm -hmm. has evolved he has continued to sort of push the envelope with everything that he's done not only as a drummer but as a, a songwriter and i don't know that yeah. lombardo has done that my only sticking point with this album is Safe Home, which I yeah. absolutely hate. And <laughs> Eddie Trunk always mentions it as, oh, this is one of the greatest Anthrax tracks and this no. and that. No, no I don't think so. Blatant try for them to get radio play. Well, Unfortunately, they got Keanu Reeves involved in the video. I mean, there was this whole story behind that where they sent out invitations to a bunch of famous people in Hollywood and the only person to show up that day when they were doing the video was Keanu Reeves and so he is featured in the video for Safe Home uh, similar to what you guys said for Volume 8 Roger Daltrey shows up yep. on taking the, the track Taking the Music Back that's yeah. a good song that's, those are my couple of my favorite songs Taking the Music Back the title track I mean I like yeah. them those, it's a damn good album Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, to me, I think it was over. In in my opinion, I overlooked the album because I loved Volume Eight so much. And after Chris sort of, we had this conversation going back and forth about what we were going to discuss and this and that. And essentially, he mentioned everything he's just mentioned. And I was like, all right, well, let me go back and check the album out. And and I remember listening to it, you know, the first time and trying to sort of shove this down pro Belladonna people's throats saying this album is just as good or better than anything that Joey's released. Me too. So, I did that with my friend that had given up on him. Yeah. <laughs> it's a damn good album. I mean, yeah. you, you got to put it up there with anything they've ever done. Yeah, I, I agree. It, it is very it is very good. Um, and, and I don't know, Chris, you, you, you made me go back and listen to it and think, is it better than Volume 8? Isn't it? You know, it's got a lot of very strong tracks off of it. So yeah. it, I'm like I said, I, I go back and forth like one week. I'll think Volume 8's better and the next week. I'll think this one's better. So, yeah, they both got, you know, their good qualities about each of them. Well, the only bad thing is, is like when when Keanu Reeves shows up, everyone says, "Well, you didn't bring Bill with you. Where's Bill S. Preston? <laughs> we, Bill, get out of here. We need Bill and Ted." I don't think he showed up in a phone booth <laughs> <laughs> with Rufus. Yeah, with Rufus. 
really well, great. We go from two albums talking about two albums that are great to one that I really don't like, and the the greater of two evils comes out in two thousand four. Um, Fourteen tracks from the Turbine and Belladonna era, re-recorded with John Bush. I kind of like some of those Do songs. You, I, I like some of them better with Bush singing. I Not think, all of them, but some of them. I think this is one that sounded good on paper, but didn't execute very well. I didn't like it. Well, the fans voted for the tracks that appear on this. Yeah, yeah I remember that. Yeah, I think AIR, the heaviness of of his singing, something like Be All, End All, which was properly yeah. mixed and recorded heavier on here. I think those are two tracks that really stand out to me. Uh, one of my questions to John Bush was, since you did the greater of two evils, should there be a part two of Joey doing your songs now? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> what do you say to that? He, he actually laughed and he goes, you know what? He says, I, I think that they should do something to honor, you know, my time in the band. And, and at the time, you know, they had done the big four and he had seen, you know, Joey's attempt at doing only, and he said, well, you know, I know that that's a, a tough song, you know, probably to do your first time out. So what I saw, he basically says that what he saw he didn't think was all that great, but he figured that, you know, down the road that he would, you know, that he would be able to work things out and, and make the song sort of his own. Right. So... Um, Boy, that'd be interesting. Yeah. I mean, that that was the thing that grabbed me about that was how interesting the concept of it was. And then to listen to it, like these old Anthrax songs that I really dig. And, you know, it's hard, you know, because I'm an Anthrax fan. It's It'd be hard for me to understand, like, somebody that's, like, a huge fan of one era or the other. Not both, one or the other. Right. You know, and how they would react to that and be like, this is blasphemy. You know, this is an outrage. Well, I, I didn't think it but, was blasphemy. I just, I didn't like how a lot of it was downtuned. And it just, I don't know. It was, I would have rather heard more original material with Bush than hearing him do a bunch of old songs. Yeah, I guess. But it was a cool concept. I think, you know, again, how often do you see something like that? Anthrax is a groundbreaking band for sure. They're yeah. creative, and they've got some out-there ideas. Some of them hit, some of them misses. But, you know, you always got to give these guys credit for taking a chance on something like that. Yeah. I'd love to see it. I'd love to see a CD or an album of Belladonna doing some Bush-era songs. It, just for, you know, curiosity's sake, if nothing else, I would buy it. Yeah, it would definitely be cool. I think you also have to figure that, this wasn't the band's high point either. I mean, with everything that happened with Volume 8, they were definitely, you know, they, they were really on the downturn since being released from Elektra. Um, so between We've Come For You All, this and the live album that was released, 
it wasn't a great point in time for the band and they were released you know really almost back to back um there was also another debacle with we've come for you all where nuclear blast um released it like six months ahead of time in europe and at the time napster was prevalent and i'm not gonna lie to you i downloaded that fucker knowing that i wasn't going to be able to get a physical copy until six months later i, think I mean yeah. a lot of people did yeah a lot of people did i mean that that's the label really dropping the ball i mean it doesn't make sense i mean why do that you know you can't bitch about people you know downloading stuff ahead of time if you're gonna be you know waiting six months i mean that's crazy very to, true to release something you know, then we go through a few years. We get out through a lot of convoluted years after this happens, and yeah. where you have you have Joey jumping back on to do the reunion tour, and then people start thinking he's going to record an album with them, and then the next thing you know, it's not going to happen because Belladonna won't sign the contract, and then all of a sudden Dan Nelson's announced as a singer, and Rob Caggiano's coming back because Dan Spitz left again. And then they start recording with Dan Nelson. They record upwards of 19 tracks. And well, they, and at this point, I think, what, John Bush is back to uh, Armored Saint then, right? Well, actually, before Dan Nelson comes back into the fold, they were trying to get Bush back in the band. And the following took place. Uh, John Bush's wife runs a talent agency. Um, hmm. A talent agency or a voiceover agency. I, I don't remember which of the two it is. And at the time, she was auditioning people for a nationwide campaign for Burger King. And what ended up happening was... Oh, I remember this. Yeah, some of the people that were supposed to show up to do the actual, you know, to, to audition didn't show up. So they were in the studio. They had time. And John Bush goes in and sort of takes a stab at it just for the hell of it, just to say that they had one more audition. And Burger King heard it, and they said, that's our voice. Oh, wow. He became the king. Yeah. Really? Yeah, so, yes. So all that time I've been listening to these Burger King commercials, John that's Bush. been John Bush. John Holy Bush. shit, I never knew that. Yeah. So That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. When, when I interviewed him, he pretty much told me right off the bat, he said, you know, he said he listened to the material for the following album. It just didn't sort of speak to him because by then... He had this gig. Yeah, his second daughter was born just shortly before that. He was getting used to, uh, you know, family life. Actually, when I was interviewing him, they were putting an addition on the house so you could hear the hammering and the drills and the power saw going on in the background. That's and, cool. Um, and, and he basically said, you know, if I want to, you know, go out, and tour, you know, I can do festivals with Armored Saint, and within a week I get my fill of doing shows, and that's it. He goes, I, I don't, you know, I'm at the point where I don't want to be a touring musician anymore. So he basically turns the band down. They have the whole thing with Belladonna. They do the initial Big Four shows, and a lot of people forget John Bush did all of the initial big four shows right. here in Europe. Yep. Now, they're able to work something out with Belladonna. What a lot of people forget, 
um, Worship Music actually had five lead singers attached to it. Let me see if I. It's <laughs> crazy. If, if I have my count correct, so it went from possibly John Bush to Joey Belladonna because of the reunion mm -hmm. to Corey Taylor. Oh yeah, I remember that. Who at the eleventh hour they're waiting for him in the studio. He doesn't show up, and he gets a call pretty much saying that his label is refusing for him to do the Anthrax album because at the time he was going to be recording a solo album. The solo album has never seen the light of day. Right. And he backed out of, out of Anthrax because of that. And then that's when Dan Nelson comes into play. Um, then obviously there's the whole regurgitation of Bush for those big four shows and then belladonna is finally signed on to the whole thing but so for so, an album called worship music they almost had a choir singing it basically <laughs> and i mean wasn't wasn't whitfield crane from ugly kid joe in the mix there for a minute somewhere too i don't know if he was ever i think i remember uh, reading something about that before ugly kid joe got back together i mean it it could be a possibility because i know that there were well Here's, here's another thing that, I mean, that um, that someone divulged to me. Um, Anthrax was actually doing their vocals, vocal recording for Worship Music with Dan Nelson at the, um, uh, what the hell is the name of the, the studio? It was due to, due to Hurricane Sandy, it is, it is now gone. But um, it was the studio that uh, Joey from Life of Agony owned. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't know, when maybe when Dan was gone, there could have been a connection there with, um, uh, with Joey maybe mentioning uh, Whitfield as far as that. Uh, I'm not sure. Because yeah. um, he stepped in and filled in on Life of Agony for a while. Yeah, and the thing is, I know that Joey mentioned when I interviewed him, um, he said that they could, you know, there was all this hullabaloo about what what may or may not have taken place for Dan to be out of the band, but he flat out said that um, uh, that Dan basically uh, that there was friction between Anthrax and with Dan from from the start basically and they went to his studio to f sort of find a common you know to sort of find a middle ground and that basically that Joey was sort of like a go between more or less where they would say you know what go in go in the booth and tell him that we want it done this way wow and that's no he, good yeah so he saw that there was friction even before they went out on tour. I got to see them with Dan Nelson. So I got to see some of the tracks from Worship Music done live before uh, they were actually done by Belladonna. And so, how, did, how did he sound with the band? He sounded great. I mean, it was, it was ridiculous because he could do all of Joey's stuff and he could do all of John Bush stuff. Wow. <clears throat> it, was, um, it was outrageous when I heard that he was gone. You know, I just didn't expect it. Worship Music ends up coming out on September 12, 2011 on Megaforce Nuclear Blast. Debuts at number 12 in the U.S., which is the highest chart position they had since Sound of White Noise. It's a damn good album. And there's a lot of political stuff discussed, like Occupy Wall Street. 
I'm Alive was nominated for a Grammy for Best Hard Rock and Metal Performance. This was one where I painted it with the wrong brush initially and kind of dismissed it. As and, did I. And just like, I just, I don't know. I think I was just kind of embittered with all the damn drama that goes on with this band at that time. And was like, I just wish these guys would get their shit together. And <laughs> I kind of put it to the side. And then as we were getting ready to research for this, I started listening to it. I was like, damn, this is really good. And yeah. there's, I mean, there's, an, there's a lot of great songs on here. Like, you know, Earth on Hell, Fight Them Till You Can't. Yeah. In the End. Judas Priest is a fun song. Um, I like the Giant. The Giant's good. Re- the Constant and Revolution yeah. Screams. It's. I mean, there's really good material on here. And you know, after I finally decided to put my own pride away and really give it a chance, it's, there's a lot of strong material on it. I'm not ready to put it up there with Volume Eight or um, We've Come for You All, but I don't know. I man. think it's. it's a, I think it's. Good. It's in the same league, though. I'll give it yeah. that. that. I mean, it's a. Considering all the shit they were going through, they put out a pretty good record. Yeah. I I hated the album initially because because of two factors, one because Bush wasn't in the band. John Bush is my favorite lead singer. Yeah, yeah I was gonna say we can. It's easy to tell that you're a John Bush guy. <laughs> yeah. Well, I am too for the most part. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm a Bush Thrax guy. I, I have no problem uh, saying that. Seeing with uh, me, I view it as two different bands. You know, so it's hard. It's hard for me to compare <laughs> them because to me, it's they're two different bands. I, I can appreciate that. I mean, definitely. I think initially there was that first resentment with him not being in the band, and then everyone saying album of the year, and I'm like, fuck. <laughs> Volume eight couldn't be album of the year. Worship right. music could be album of the year. But yeah. this can be album of the year where the material isn't as good as you know these other albums. I mean, sometimes me a- it's about the competition at the time. I think maybe. Could be, and and that's interesting well, because when back. Chris just mentioned where it debuted, that was the first thing that I thought of. Oh, it did, they did a, it did well when it came out, but I gotta wonder how much of that is. Hey, Joey's back, so we have to now. Suddenly, it's a credible. All the album. old school Anthrax yeah. fans getting the news and being like, "Oh, cool, we can be Anthrax fans again." Right. Yeah, I mean, I think that definitely plays into it. I would honestly say, and and I think that I listened to this objectively for the first time leading up to this episode, and really saying, "Wow, this song is cool. Wow, this song kicks ass," you know, and sort of building upon it, and then sort of listening to the songs very objectively, I would have to say that if I were to split the band into two eras and consider it two different entities, as Aaron is saying, I would have to say that this is probably my second favorite Joey album behind Persistence of Time. Yeah, I'd have a hard time disagreeing with that because I I like this new album, well, the new latest album, a lot. I agree. The, The only thing that I would say is Joey doesn't do the track New Noise, which is a cover, doesn't do it justice. Um, when Dan Nelson did it live, it was just ridiculous, the way that he did it live, and there was just a whole different energy behind it. And the way that, I don't know, maybe it's just the way that it's produced. It's very glossed over with Joey's vocals. 
And the original track by Refused is just very raw, very underproduced, just very... It's it's like almost like listening to uh, Motley Crue's Too Fast for Love. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, produced by Bob Ezrin. You know, it's just too... Or, or Bob Rock, for that matter. Too slick. <laughs> slick and poppy. Yeah, instead of being that raw energy that you were getting from the original. So... I'm not saying that it's bad. It's just that Dan Nelson took it to another level. Um, I will say that there's a journalist out there that um, that's up there north of the border that we all know who does have some tracks with Dan Nelson on them. And every time that I try to barter with him to see if he'll uh, let me even listen to the tracks, his response is, oh, no, 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 Charlie and the guys would kill me, you know, they were good fans or good friends from way back, this and that. And I'm like, come on, Mitch, you're, you're killing me here. I'm a big fan. You yeah, know, just, I'd love to hear just it. Just do it over the phone. You just, you just <laughs> you know? outed him. Nice. <laughs> here you go, Mitch LaFon. Yeah, he'll change his mind when I give him the Elder Studio tapes and trade. Right. <laughs> there you go. So where, what's Dan Nelson up to nowadays? I mean, where's that guy at now? My guess is as good as yours. Would you like fries with oh, that? Oh, no, 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 no. There is one project he was involved in that I have been threatened legal action if I mention this project. Really? Not mention. Um, <laughs> which was uh, with a very, very um, big name musician was involved in this. And he sort of flaked out, sort of um, for the same reasons of what happened with Anthrax, and that's why that project never came to fruition. I'll just say that. Hmm. Um, th there's another project called Black Gates, where you can find the tracks on YouTube. It actually does not sound bad. Paul Bostoff, who is now back in Slayer, yeah. is the drummer of that band. He's awesome. Yeah, and the tracks are actually pretty cool so i mean i listen to them and again if you're listening to them ob objectively i think the problem with dan as far as anthrax fans are concerned he could do again he could do the joey stuff really well he could do the joey screams he could do the bush stuff really well also the thing is he's got a whole like phil anselmo thing going on yeah so um, so he can do the ah! yeah he can do the backing <laughs> vocals on Killing Bob. There you go. So if they ever do too funny a track with um, cover all three know, all of Confusion two and they need you know a former singer screaming in the background. He's the guy. That's He's the guy. The dude. <laughs> well, so. so you know to wrap it up, the you know, they released last year. They released anthems in March of 2013. I do not like that. No. I did not like you it didn't at all. Like it? No, because it's Joey Belladonna sings it, and he tries to sound exactly like you know he tries to sound like Boston, and he does, yeah. and he tries to sound like Journey, and he does, you know, and it's like, well, damn, you know, if I wanted this, and you would think, you know, this is this is the only thing I didn't understand. Anthrax, they are cover masters. 
They go in and do these covers for this anthems thing, and they play them exactly like the originals, it seemed like. You yeah. know, Anthrax is known for taking a song like Anthem by Rush and rocking it the hell out, you know, and adding that heavy distortion to it. But in, on this anthems thing, it was like they just, they really did covers, you know, to the T. Yeah. Too much. I remember being Not ex- enough ex- Anthrax flavor. I, I remember being very excited for it and then kind of just meh when it yeah. came out. What do you think of it, Vic? Same thing, you know. I was reading on Blabbermouth how everyone was like, oh, wow, their cover of Anthems is so great. It's this and that. And every time I read that something is so great, I'm always hesitant to listen to it because I'm usually that guy that once again says that, you know, Creatures of the Night is his favorite Kiss album or that, you know, the the B-side to this was fantastic. You know, that the covers that Anthrax has done all along. Yeah have just been amazing and i listened to that track and i'm thinking he's trying to sound like getty lee and he and he does but you know and i was excited because it was like whoa wait a minute anthrax is doing a cover of boston smoking they got oh that's got to be crazy you know they're gonna rock it out they're gonna make it real heavy it's gonna it's gonna be like anthrax doing boston but better you know it's a but then it's just it just sounds like a boston song yeah, yeah, no, I I agree with you. I think that the album, I mean, the only track that I really like off of it is the Cheap Trick cover, Big Eyes, yep. just because I love that track to death. I mean, I've yeah. listened to that a million times. that track but outside of that i mean out of my list of you know out of my playlist of things that came out in 2013 i think that the only thing that i included was was crawl off of that which appeared on worship music anyway yeah. you know yeah so, and this uh this song, it's it, kind of a letdown you know because anthrax their covers are like anthrax like you parasite yeah. for example it's yeah. like what if anthrax had written that song this is what it would sound like, right? You know, here it's it's too generic. Well, and with this, yeah. this sold eighty five hundred its first week, so not a lot of sales. And worship music did twenty eight thousand. With Anthrax, there's always question about what's next for this band, or is there going to be a next thing for this band? It's kind, as far as I know, it's kind of up in the air. Have you heard anything about them doing new material? Oh no, they're they're recording, they're writing new material. Okay. That's the uh, best news I've heard all day. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They've um, now, but Rob's not in the band anymore. No, he's with uh, Volbeat um, now. Oh yeah. But you know what? I don't know that that's entirely a bad thing. Um, I, I I honestly think that Rob falls into the Dan Spitz category in that he is talented, but he just, as a lead guitarist, just never really showed me anything to say. Holy shit, you know, that Rob Caggiano solo just, you know, blew me away. Whereas with Paul Crook, you know, there are solos there that just, you know, really did it for me. Well, I disagree but, with you on that. I, you, I, well, you're, 
You're 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 a Volbeat fangirl, so I mean I understand. Uh, yeah, he is. <laughs> totally is. Oh wow! You nailed him with the truth right there. But no, I I think he right. I think he has great solos. I mean, I I don't I wouldn't view him as average or anything. I think he's good. Well, I mean, hell, if I at the very least, I'd like them to bring him back to produce the next album because I mean he he did a great job with the last two. Yeah, good point. Well, but here's the thing: the the guitarists that they have now, they they've been smart with who they brought in. What's well, the guy from Shadows Fall, right? Shadows Fall. It's John. Um, oh, I've got it in the notes. Hang on, D- Danaeus. I, I guess Danaeus. I guess Danaeus. I I would say that this time around, Chris Sinzak has properly pronounced the last names. <laughs> now wait, I'm usually good at pronouncing them. The guy across from me has the trouble. Well, and nobody can say Sinzak, so well, yeah. we've, we've got some kind of triple thing oh, going on I, here. I, I, I had someone going off on me via Facebook chat one night oh, on, on I did live not, show because I, did not I go didn't off say on you. Sinzak. I said Zinzak and, you know. No, I just said there's no M in my name. <laughs> there's a lot of other letters, but there's no M in the name. It's funny. <laughs> Calm down, everybody. <laughs> there you go. So, so they're writing new stuff, and do you know any, have an ETA on when they're going to put a new record out? I don't know because there's there's stuff that that the band isn't telling us because there's a lot of stuff that, um, and I mean, I I don't want to shit on anyone with this, or I don't want to shoot any you know myself in the foot for for future you know um possible interviews with them because i'm i'm supposed to talk to scotty in at some point in the future about sound of white noise and hopefully that happens but you know s- similar to the interviews that vinnie vincent has promised to you guys you know we know that <laughs> not always comes through so that ain't uh, gonna happen <laughs> so so you know the elephant in the room is is this is that Charlie hasn't been touring a lot with the band over the last few years, and right. John Deet has been filling in, and so has Jason Bittner from um, Shadows Fall, and so has um, uh, Gene Hoagland as well. Oh, yeah. The thing is, Charlie's, I'm assuming, and this is just me sort of throwing this out there, based on what news has been released. I mean, I don't think that anyone is sort of, you know, dumb to this, but... He was having issues with his wife. There were uh, apparently there were some issues where he was arrested. His wife was arrested. They were filing for divorce and this and that. So I'm assuming he can't leave the country to play certain shows, and that he can't leave a certain area. I mean, there are kids involved and everything else. So you know, who knows what the actual story is? I'm assuming that once all of that's taken care of, Anthrax will regroup and um, finish recording whatever they're initially writing. So I think that John, um, or, or Jonathan, Jesus, Jonathan Danaeus, if he's given the liberty that he has in Shadows Fall to play, I mean, we could expect some of the best solos that they've had ever in the yeah. band because the guy's just a phenomenal player. He's ridiculous. He's one of the... Uh, best players of the quote-unquote new wave of American heavy metal. So, um, so is he definitely a full-fledged member of the band now? According to Charlie, he 
is. He's he's part of the band. Uh, they now there there are two pictures of him because the one was obviously photoshopped and people uh, took the blabbermouth and everything else and pretty much yucked it up that you could tell that he was photoshopped in. Um, so shortly after, there was another picture released with the five current members of the band. He's been playing with the band, and, and I think Shadows Fall uh, is on hiatus at the moment because Jason Bittner's playing with someone else. Uh, Brian Flair is doing some type of super group with a bunch of other people from the Massachusetts metal scene. So um, I would imagine that he's in the band for the time being. But okay. again, you know, I'm almost seeing this as like another Paul Crook scenario in the sense that you know, this may be a short-term type thing, and unless they're looking for, you know, uh, slide soloing in the future, I don't see Dan Spitz coming back. So, right. <laughs> well, unless somebody's watch breaks down. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, be. well, Vic, this has been a lot of fun. I'm glad we could go through this catalog and talk about each album. Fun and way informative. Yeah, you've, give, you've given us a lot to think about. <laughs> and, um, uh, so, you know, where can people catch up with you and what shows you're working on? Absolutely. Um, they can go to MarsAttacksRadio.com, which is sort of the central location to where everything that I do uh, is. I mean, there are other shows that I've done in the past, but uh, at the moment, that that's my main thing. Um, from time to time, the guys from Talking Metal are gracious enough to allow me to be involved in their shows and uh, and produce them um, on certain Friday nights. And you do uh, a really good job with them, i got to say. I, I like it a lot when you're on there. You know, a lot of people have been giving me favorable feedback, and, you know, I always say that I don't try to be John Astronomy. I know that there were some people initially that wrote me and said, oh, you know, are you going to be replacing John? No, I'm not replacing John. Talking Metal is Nobody. Mark Who John. can? Who can replace John Astronomy? Go. And not I, me, not you, not anybody. Not for nothing, but it's the law of the jungle if you've got the <laughs> hunger. <laughs> um, but, and you uh, do, my friend. You do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> but, yeah, so, so I'm able to be involved in... Um, Talking Metal Digital, the, my Mars Attack shows are featured on their stream. I help program the, the actual radio stream with Mark Striegel and from time to time help Mitch LaFon with his one-on-one -on -one show. Very cool. Uh, my podcast is also part of the Cast Iron Ring, which also has a, another bunch of great uh, podcasts. To Definitely. find out more on that, just go to castironring.com. In any event, if you go to MarsAttacksRadio.com, Check out the right-hand side there. You'll find links to Facebook, Twitter, G+, uh, Cast Iron Ring, Talking Metal Digital, and all the other great stuff that is going on. Uh, if you see that episodes aren't being released on a consecutive basis or whatever, unfortunately, as I've mentioned a few times on my show and other shows, um, you know there are health issues that are involved, and unfortunately I haven't been able to to keep up like you guys have been and you know it's funny because when i feel great i think oh i'm gonna knock out you know two three episodes this week just in case right. and then you know maybe it's one or two days where i'm 
good enough to record, you know, a show. And then later on in that week, I'm just, you know, on the opposite end of the spectrum. And there's no way that I can record anything. And that just sort of draws out. I haven't released anything in like five weeks. So it's because of that. It's not because I'm lazy or anything. It's just that health-wise, I'm just dealing with a lot of crap. So yeah. we know how that goes. Absolutely. I mean, shit, this, this interview, this talk has been, you know in the works for years now yeah. and then and then it came down to it and then one week i was sick and so we had to cancel and then <laughs> next week chris had something going on we had to cancel and the next week you were sick and we had to cancel yeah. so i'm just glad we were able to get this all together now, here my, today. my cat told me earlier he was sick but i said too bad we're yeah. gonna record it anyway damn it robin clausby <laughs> yeah. you're not wrecking this one yeah i have a cat with feline aids and aaron's taking the call on it robin clausby no <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> Now, oh, sorry, yeah. everybody. Okay. <laughs> all right. Well, to wrap it up, Vic, I want to give you the honors. And, like, out of all of Anthrax's catalog, what song do you think should be the playout song for this episode that everyone needs to hear? For, That's for, tough. One song. It's, it's difficult. One, one song. Because the band has been along for such a long time and has always powered on through regardless whether, you know, the name was an issue, regardless whether... You know, they were on top or not, regardless whether they were teaming up with a rap band to sort of push the envelope and, you know, go in other directions. The band has always refused to be denied. So I would say refuse to be denied off of We've Come For You All. Excellent choice. Great way to end the show. And with that, folks, we'll see you next week. Basically